are these numbers so high? Why is that red light flashing? And what's that alarming sound? Smithers, get in here! Smithers! Sorry, Monty. I was feeding Waylon Jr. Will you put that baby down? There's something wrong with the reactor core. I better go in and have a look. No, Waylon Sr. It could be filled with atoms and steam and other nuclear bric-a-brac. This reactor blows, the whole town is doomed, including my son. So, you're a baby, huh? How's that working out for you? He did it! Look at your heroic daddy in there, making funny faces, falling to the floor, shedding his hair, lying perfectly still. Oh, dear. Smithers Sr. gave his life to save the plant. And since cover-ups were all the rage back then, I shoved his heroic corpse down the sewer pipe. Guy never told Smithers the truth about his father. Until tonight, sir. <gasps> Smithers Jr. Ha! <laughs> Busted! Now the movie's turned into a play. Still good, though. I'm sorry I lied to you, Waylon, but I wanted to spare you the details of your father's gruesome death. Well, I'm glad to know he died a hero instead of that other way. I told him his father was killed in the Amazon by a tribe of savage women. I hope it didn't affect you in any way. We'll never know, sir. Four-finger discount, dude. Hey guys, welcome to Four Figure Discount. This week we are here to review, <laughs> gosh, just waving to me, <laughs> episode CABF21. It is the Blunder Years. I'm Dando. I am Guy. Uh, very nice to be seeing Dando again through the wonders of Zoom and whatnot. Although this is the second time that I've seen Dando this week because I was uh, doing my grocery shopping at the local Coles <laughs> and I saw some gentleman wearing a t shirt uh, that had, oh God, Told I was never a huge. <laughs> What's his name? Carlton. Carlton from the Fresh Prince. <laughs> Bel And I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's only one person in the Geelong area who would wear a T-shirt like that in public. And yes, it was indeed Brendan Danto. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice surprise. I don't, I don't get to see you outside of the podcast anymore. That's true. He saw me with, you know, like a, a basket full of uh, potato chips and... Um, and Coca-Cola is like, oh, man. No, no, that's actually not true. I had, I had my, my health food with me. Uh, but very nice to see Dando uh, out in the wild, so to speak, and very nice to see Dando again today. We should definitely uh, catch up more often, just for a meal and a beer. We should, we should be we should, we should be friends again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you, everyone, who tuned in to last week's vodcast, the very first vodcast. By the way, did you look it up, Mr. Davis? It is a word, vodcast. It is a word. Yes, yes, yes. I've been brought <laughs> up to speed. Had a good response for Huck Huck Burns and Love. So each and every week now, we're going to be bringing you the Four Finger Discount podcast here on the YouTube channel. So if you're watching us here on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you listen to the podcast and you want to watch us and you haven't checked it out yet, go to youtube.com slash TV and hit that subscribe button where you'll get new videos each and every week, including some top tens, which I'm going to be working on as well. But Mr. Davis, we are here to talk about The Blunder Years, an episode that... As you would have known from the end of last week, I did not have very high hopes for. I just for some reason, and I couldn't quite remember why, didn't remember liking it at all. Just had zero high hopes, like I said. Yeah. 
Honestly, it was nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. Maybe because my expectations were so low. The first act was a fuck. That was a, that was painful. Once I got past the first act, and it became like a little murder mystery. I actually didn't mind it. Yeah, I think to quote Homer, I don't know. It's just a bunch of stuff that happened. The Blundies. I yeah. Mean, uh, I I didn't really feel strongly about it one way or another. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got, I'm, I think sort of looking back over my notes of like, oh yeah, I've got parts there that I liked and parts there that were fine and uh yeah i can talk about that but uh yeah for the most part i'm like i don't know if i'd sort of revisit this one in a hurry having said that i mean there are sort of parts in there that's like oh that's where that comes from it was one of my favorite bits the first time i saw it or for a while afterwards or oh i really like that oh that's sort of that's wormed its way into my everyday speech or that's something that's sort of taken up residence in my head so yeah i didn't dislike it it's no simpson safari which seems to be like the low benchmark <laughs> Uh, yeah, for definitely. Simpsons for me I'm like everything is compared to that and if it's better than that then it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I, I, I read that I read that this was written by Ian Maxstone Graham who wrote an episode that you do like where Maud Flanders gets killed and you actually enjoyed that episode but then the last episode that he wrote for this series was Tennis the Menace and I read that and went oh oh because that was not a good episode but this one here was nowhere near as bad as Tennis the Menace. I am a sucker for a murder mystery, like I said. It felt very Scooby-Doo-esque, but I think this episode is kind of like the epitome of, as you said, just a bunch of stuff that happened Simpsons era, where yeah. continuity is now out the window. It's just episode by episode. You've got to take it with a, with a pinch of salt. Don't don't stress too much about it. Characters are going to act out of character at times to suit the, the sake of the comedy and the story. Uh, did the show entertain me? It did. Is that all set out to do? I guess so. Mm. One thing I noticed about this episode and maybe about this uh, this season so far, it's got a lot of callbacks to stuff that The Simpsons has done in the past. It's also a very sort of old-fashioned episode in terms of references that are made, like Frink turning into the whole Nutty Professor thing, Karnak and Carson, yeah, that kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah. And even the, mm, that's good yakky. I mean, I think I always thought I knew where that came from. But then when I was watching it on Disney+, Plus, it had in the subtitles as Gleason or or Gleason voice. I'm like... Oh, is that a Jackie Gleason thing? Okay, then fine. I mean, because God knows how many times I've said, mm-mm, that's good such and such. Mmm, <laughs> that's good yucky. I don't know. It's it's just one of those great plug-and-play things that you can do for just about mm. anything. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mmm, that's good chicken when you have some good KFC or something. Or, mmm, <laughs> that's good tyranny, you know, when you've been forced to work overtime or something. <laughs> Which is what I make you do with this podcast. <laughs> what What did you think of the, uh, which I thought was a kind of sweet moment with Smithers' dad, despite the the camera angles and the fact that this couldn't possibly actually happen, throw yeah. it out the window for the sake of the story. I like that it somewhat humanized Burns again. What, they had him last week, Hug Hug Burns, I love he was very human in that. Um, again, it sort of gave a very nice aspect to the Burns character and it sort of added an extra <laughs> layer to the Smithers-Burns dynamic, I think. I don't know how nice it was that he actually watched his colleague die. I know they played it for humour and it's like, oh, he doesn't realise that it's not good for Smithers Senior to be in this thing and all that kind of stuff. And, oh, here he is, writhing in agony, blah, blah, blah. You're right. It sort of does paint him in a slightly more sympathetic way or more sympathetic way than we're used to, certainly. Um I didn't get the feeling that scene was a missed opportunity, but I get the, the feeling if they did want to sort of tug at the heartstrings, they could have written it or they could have staged it 
a little more sort of heartbreakingly or effectively or whatever. But yeah, uh, not, not 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 for for comedy, which is which is kind of what they went for here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like I said, when this felt like a whole no, like a bunch of stuff that happened, the stuff that connected all these bits and pieces felt very tenuous. All the stuff with, I mean, Burly Man's kind of a, a subplot by itself, or just even a bit. Yeah. But you know, hypnotist, and then the Stand By Me sort of um, nostalgia stuff to Homer's childhood, then the murder mystery, all that kind of stuff. Like sometimes you can have five or six different things that are connected, and some they'll be connected in an interesting or unexpected way, and you go, "Oh wow, I'm I'm really amazed," or or really pleased that they drew those all together so neatly. With this, it kind of felt like if you sort of did that to any one of the strings connecting these things, the whole thing would just fall apart. Yeah, yeah. Well, Seifel did a good job of that, with the, the four different stories usually all intertwining in a unique but still logical way. Mm. Um, but yeah, this episode here, I don't know, that first act, man, it was a struggle for me. I just sort of thought... And Ian Maxstone Graham's episodes have a tendency to... As- I want to say waste, but kind of waste the first act before they get to the main story. The the tennis one was similar. Remember when a ho- I can't remember what the story was, but a whole bunch of stuff happened, and then Homer goes, mm. "I'm buying a tennis court," and it's like, <laughs> okay, so now the episode starts at the first commercial break. You know? Yeah. Do you dislike the first act because I mean it is real full metal dick Homer, or just because I- you think it's there's not a whole lot to it. I, mean, I, I, I didn't dislike it in that sense. And I, di- I didn't dislike it at all. I just felt like it was a. It could have been condensed a lot more. I just felt like uh, it took so long to get to the Homer with repressed memories angle. It's like I would, yeah. would rather 18 minutes or 16 minutes dedicated to the murder mystery as opposed to 10. I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, it did seem like it took a very long time for them to get to, um, what is it, dinner and a show or whatever. Yeah. And... Uh, and Oh, what's his name? I've got it written down here. Mesmerino, is that his name? Mesmerino, yeah. It took a while to get to all that. And honestly, the prank that Homer played on Marge, I just found that it was very yeah, cruel. really not not upsetting, but just like, oh, man, such a dick move. Yeah, so I can understand you being jealous that she's... But the thing is, she's jealous of a character, sort of in real. You know what I mean? I, that's another thing that I had in my notes. I sort of thought... It just felt a bit much that Marge is writing a letter to a mascot. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's a very Homer thing, but not a Marge thing to write a letter to a mascot. Just seemed, I don't know, a bit bizarre. But as I said, characters are going to be added character at times in current era Simpsons season thirteen. You just got to enjoy it. I always say to myself at the end, was I entertained by this? Yes. Did any of it make me roll my eyes? No, not really. Um. So yeah. So it was a thumbs up from me, mm-hmm. but just not a not a. Big thumbs up. Not 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 two thumbs up. It was not two thumbs up. Just two thumbs in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> hey, my favorite. What was your favorite moment from the Blunder years? Look, I had a couple, and this is very very little bits. But uh, listeners to the podcast will be aware, and now the vodcast, by the way, <laughs> viewers of the vodcast, will be aware that I'm always a fan of your Homer doing something. I like knew you that. would. <laughs> So for the script to be flipped and for Marge to say, spill it. Um, it's like, eh, that's actually pretty. I mean, I liked all the stuff. I liked that she was so taken not just with Burly Man, but with um, the absorbent properties of Burly Paper Towel, that she was spilling shit everywhere and soaking it up. And she just wanted someone to share in that with her that she got Lisa home from school. I thought that was quite funny. Just spill it was, was marvellous. There's also... 
talked a little earlier about how, you know, there were bits in this. It's like, oh, that's, oh, this is from that. And it's when they're having the flashback to the whole, they're all around the campfire and they're sort of coming up with names for the, um, ah, oh, we're the Carl crew. It's like, I thought we were letting the Jets and then most <laughs> with the most is like experience featuring <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Sorry, no one needs to see my high blood, high blood pressure as I laugh. But, um, <laughs> that, that's that's a great line. The most is like featuring Carl. Homer. <laughs> oh man, that, that was very very good. I really liked Hank's improv at the end over the credits. I, we may have to disagree on that one. I mean, really? Um, okay. Yeah, from what I understand, it was an improv over the end, but uh, it replaced what was going to be. Um, the burly man actually showing up, yep. To uh, yeah, to take uh, to take Marge on a date or just sort of sweep her off her feet. I don't know. I mean, that could have worked, but I mean, I don't think I'm as um, taken with with some of these improvs as you are. But I okay. mean, yeah, you know, to each their own, of course. But uh, yeah, I, there's, two, there's two reasons why I think burly man rocking up at the end wouldn't have fit unless they tweaked a few things. Mm-hmm. I know because Marge did write a letter, didn't she? I was going to say because Howard would, but. So he, was, he wouldn't be rocking up for dinner, was he just going to rock up to visit Marge, was he? Was that what he was going to do? I'm not sure exactly how it was going to go. I'm sorry, I yeah. did read it, but then I didn't write down But exactly the, the, the thing is, though, we've already had a similar story, a similar ending. Remember the Treehouse of Horror from two years ago when the witch is dating George Cauldron and at the very end he just rocks up randomly? That's it would have right, been a, yeah. It would have felt very similar to that. But there was another reused gag in this and it's sort of, we're sort of getting to that era now. I, I get... 13 seasons, you're going to rehash some gags, but the, how did you get my number? And then Homer goes, I don't know. I'm like, that's already been done before. Direct quote, been done before. (laughs) Having said that, I wrote down, I was like, that always works. I mean, I say always works, that's the only, it's it's been used twice, but (laughs) it worked really well the first time when, my name is Mr. Burns. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, <just saying. laughs> I'm, I'm a fan of that, so uh, I didn't mind that um, particular callback. I mean, look, it's either a tribute to the original line or it's just them being lazy in the writer's room saying, eh, people seem to like I, that I don't know gag. Let's drag that out again. I really liked Mo being sad that he wasn't invited on the murder mystery. <laughs> and then look, looking, in the, looking in the window and then Homer, bye Mo. <laughs> I just I thought Mo was a standout in this one for me. Yeah, I really enjoyed. There was Mo. some good Mo stuff in it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, as as you discerned earlier from my laughter <laughs> about the most is like most is like experience featuring Homer. The most is like experience featuring Homer. <laughs> <laughs> Next question: You there eating the paste? Trivia for this week. I'm going to kick off. I feel like Go right off. What did Marge have for Homer when she was unpacking the groceries? Beer roll-ups. Beer roll-ups. Mm-hmm. Mm. I used to love roll-ups when I was a kid. Did you ever have roll-ups? Um, they sort of came into fashion when I was a little more grown up. And I thought, well, no, fruit roll-ups. And the few times I tried them, I'm like, I get the feeling I'm going to rip out a filling. They do get very stuck to your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they were delicious when I was a kid. Uh, but what's your first question? What is the name of the model for the Burly Man? According to Homer, at least. Oh, according to Homer, it's Chad Sexington. <laughs> that is correct. My next question is, what time was dinner planned with Chad Sexington? 
Oh, I think I was what's laughing the, so much at Chad Sexton. What's your what's, what's your usual dinner time? What would you have? A, have, a, have a stab. Five thirty. Five thirty. Watching the wheel. <laughs> Get it out of the way before the news. Um, seven p.m. Let's say. Seven p.m. Correct, sir. Wow. Good guess. <laughs> What are they, European? Jesus Christ, eating late at the Simpsons household. Mate, I, wait, I try two kids. I'm usually eating dinner at 8.30 these days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, where is dinner, the show? Oh, that is at the fancy restaurant Pimento Grove? No, no, Bart, Pimento makes, a Grove. Suggest- uh, Bart makes a suggestion that uh, they could go to a place where dinner is the show. Oh, yeah, no, lost on me. What is it? Benny Hanna. Benny Hanna, yes, okay, yeah. They should have gone there. <laughs> I know. And my final question is, how many pumps would Mo have to have pumped the gun for the daisy to have broke the skin? Oh, I think it's 18. Correct. Well done. You're on oh, fire this week, Mr. Davis. Doing all right. Now, I've got one more for you. I've actually, I actually came up with a few more trivia questions this time around. So I've got to pick the best one. How much does Mesberino have in his checking account? It's either 1,100 and 1,200 and something. 1776. 17? Wow, I was way off. Okay. That's, that's, oh, that's yeah. me. I watched this and sort of thought, I remember thinking at the time, I mean, it's not much, but, you know, there's people who have less. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So that is clearly Mesmerino not doing too well. But anyway, that is trivia for this week. We'll be right back with our in-depth review of The Blunder Years. In-depth. Four Finger Discount is brought to you by our incredible $20 patrons. Jordan, Molman, Richie, Noah Daniel, Nick Barbaro, Andrew Zerr, Christopher Darby, Chris Malion, Will Manthorpe, Ben Smith, Matt Thompson, Mark Boston Burgess, Alex Rodriguez, Tom Pickering, Kane Von Nagy, Josh Hedge, Sean Devey, Keith Nedham, Sam Bennett, Timothy Burleson, Brandon Twitchell, Nick James, Bitch, Cal McDonald, Shannon Hofer, George McMenemy, Zach Pruitt, Jonathan Rossi, Adam Sanderson, Stephen Roberts, Seth Weens, Daniel Kotnick, Ali Jamie, the iconic June fucking Richards, and our newbie, Mr. Matthew Davis. Thank you so much, sir. Also, shout-outs to our new $5 plus patrons, Thomas Watts and Matt Riccardi. Don't forget, if you want to be a four-finger discount patron, just go to patreon.com slash four-finger discount, where you not only get your name read out on the show, you also get early access to all of our podcasts, as well as access to our new four-finger discount revisited classics, where each month the patrons choose a episode from the golden era, where this month they have selected Homer the Vigilante. So join the four-finger discount family today by going to patreon.com slash four-finger discount. But for now, enjoy our review of The Blunder Years. The original air date of The Blunder Years was December 9th in the year 2001, just almost 20 years ago now. Wow, we chickadee. Uh, written by Stephen Dearmore. Uh, Did sorry, you say wow, we chickadee, by the way? Wow, we chickadee, yeah, yeah. Never heard that one before. Oh, I say it all the time. Written by yeah. Ian Maxstone Graham, directed by Stephen Dearmore. Chillboard gag, I'm not Charlie Brown on acid. And the catch gag was a Matrix parody, which was the style at the time. Break out that onion. Was The Simpsons actually referred to as like peanuts on acid at some stage or something like that? I mean, I have no idea. I've never probably by some hack writer. When I first started out as a as a film reviewer, as a you know, like in my twenties and didn't really know shit, I think I sort of used that. This is such and such on acid, maybe once or twice, and then sort of got wised up and thought. Yeah, that's a bit of a bit of a hack move. Let's let's take that out of the vocabulary. Then you tried acid and went, fuck, it's nothing like this at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 
Where are we? Uh, where do we begin? with? Um... Uh, the episode begins with Marge unpacking the groceries, uh, unwrapping presents for herself, as she puts it. She's not incorrect. I just no. got, well, I know I should have done a complete thing of shopping when I saw you at the supermarket, but I didn't have everything I needed. So I just went back to the supermarket a little while ago and was unpacking the bag. By the way, very well-packed bag by Brody at the, uh, at the counter. I only Brody. brought the one bag in. Very nice young lady named Brody. And perfect packing, just real kind of championship level bag packing. I do, I do enjoy it when they make the effort to, you know, not shove the eggs in with the tomatoes and things like that. Oh yeah, yeah. This girl's a pro. I mean, this girl, knows, <laughs> she knows what time it is, and uh, she did a really good job with it. And unpacking, I was like, I mean, I didn't pick up that much stuff, but I was like, oh. Wait a minute, I got this. Oh, great. <laughs> I'll have that later. Uh, <laughs> That's right. I bought that treat for myself. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, yes, indeed. Grocery can indeed be unlike un- unwrapping a present for yourself. Marge is right yes. on the money there. Please continue, Dando. This is where she discovers that she purchased the incorrect uh, paper towel. She purchased Burley instead, but then she gets... It's like somewhat aroused. It's, it's, it's kind of weird how turned on she is by this... Character. <laughs> I mean, to, well, to us, to us, he's animated, but I guess in their universe, he just looks like a big buff dude. He does. Now, the burly man, I'm guessing, and we may have to go to Wikipedia on this because, of course, why would that lie to us? I think the burly man is based on Brawny. There is a paper towels brand in the US called Brawny, and mm-hmm. they had a logo called, generally known as the Brawny Man. And He's basically burly dude. He's, you know, got the got the flannel shirt on. I think he's carrying an axe or something along those lines. But yeah, generally a, a picture of outdoorsiness and good health. And apparently the guy who came up with the Brawny logo based it on his own son and like aged him up. So oh. I'll find some images and I will put them online because, you know, we talked about this last week, how I am was frequently promising but never delivering. And last week, I, last week I like to think I delivered. You I did, yeah. That decoray ad, my goodness gracious. <laughs> that, uh, that got him talking. <laughs> I, I went it like three times. I'm like, wow, she's really going for it. <laughs> <laughs> How did that make television? I couldn't believe it. <laughs> uh, 80s, different time. Uh, <laughs> who, was the, who was the big buff dude that was the face of the, I can't believe it's not butter. Oh, that's Fabio. Fabio, have you ever seen the video of when he gets smashed by a swan on a roller coaster? Of course. <laughs> That's hilarious. Poor old Fabio. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if it was a swan. Now. It might have been a seagull, but it just clocked him right in the face. Yeah, oh, I don't right, know if it yeah. broke his nose, but it certainly fucked him up. It certainly did indeed. But as we said, Marge is very impressed with Burley, and she just has to tell somebody about how great the uh, the paper towel is that are that that the absorb absorptivity. What did she say? Absorb. Yeah. Ab- absorptivity. Is that a word? <laughs> Not sure if it's an actual word, but, you know, Julie sells it so convincingly that you'd think it would be. I came home as quick as I could. What's going on? Watch what happens when I spill this blue liquid. Huh? You pulled me out of school for this? Absolutely. You're about to get a lesson in value. And Burley still got soaking power. Spill something else. Mom, I believe you. Spill it. Hmm? Oh, Burley, you're insatiable. (laughs) Oh, Burley, you're so rugged and manly. 
smart. A bee almost stung me today. I felt the wind go right by my ear. <laughs> oh, it's okay, homie. The bee's all gone. Fantasize, Marge. Fantasize about Bernie. Hey, you're looking at that spokes, Jack. Well, I can fantasize, too. Hmm. Ooh, Mama Celeste. You touch me, and I catch you. Mm. Oh. Homer, I'll tell you what I told Redford. It ain't gonna happen. Uh. Seems like a bit of a waste of Paul Newman, don't you think? That one line? It does. Admittedly, he was, you know, <laughs> they... The, the word from Simpsons HQ was, oh, he was very low pressure to work with. You know, he just sort of said, yeah, I'll do it, and got on the phone and did his one line and all that. I mean, I don't know how old Paul Newman was at this stage, but um, probably in his 70s, you know, and I think close to retiring from acting. I mean, I think his last sort of on-screen appearance was in the Tom Hanks movie Road to Perdition, although he did do a voice okay. in Cars as well. Yeah, he was uh, Doc Hudson, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which wasn't too long after this. So um, how they got him on board? I mean, I, I didn't really sort of uh, find that much information about it, but I mean, always good to see and hear Paul Newman. I don't know if it was around the same time, but there, I think there was a bit of a, a stage where he was a bit of a prankster because, you know, he would... Um, really? He had this thing where he would sort of show up on Letterman occasionally and not to do anything. You just sort of... You'd see him walking, like, behind Letterman's desk or something and they would just say... How you doing, jackass? <laughs> Something like that. Just came on to insult Dave, and then he'd take off, and everyone was like, "We're so happy to see Paul Newman," and he'd just go, "Yeah, how you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> so whether this was part of that, I don't know. But um... <laughs> apparently, he was on a movie set when he did it. They called him up. He just did it from from the movie set. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Okay. Oh. I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just one line, but it, it, they said he took like five or six different takes to to do it. Okay. <laughs> It's still, it's, I mean, it is a funny line. It just seems like if you're going to get Paul Newman, why don't you get Make fucking Paul Newman? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dear Burley, comma, I've never written to a registered trademark before. Are you a real person or just a composite? Question mark. In either case, I would love a signed photo. Sincerely, Marge Simpson. Love? <gasps> signed photo? Marge hasn't asked me for a signed photo in months. Well, I'll show her. I had no idea, by the way, by the way, that you could read the typewriter after someone had typed it. Like, look through it and hold it up and read it. I didn't know that either. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm sure, I guess it's something you can do. But yeah, that always struck me as a bit, uh, that was a bit sneaky by her, or a bit sort of clever. <laughs> By Homer and all on it's like wow you can actually do that nice work Homer. Having said, I mean I know I know you find the whole crush on Burly Man a little bit weird, but surely you've had a crush on some corporate logo or another. Come on, I mean, what the Colonel? <laughs> <laughs> I call I call a corporate logo. They, trying to make a sexy Colonel at some stage. Well, they had all these different people playing like Colonel Sanders. They had like really? one okay. of the dudes from Saved by the Bell doing him some. I think they had Billy Zane. Cool dude Billy Zane dressed up as the Colonel for one ad at least. Did you ever see there was the um the sexy Hamburglar going around? Did you ever see that meme? I don't know if it was a meme or it was just a shot, but there was some guy like dressed I'm up looking as the Hamburglar. <laughs> sexy Hamburglar, continue. Sexy Hamburglar, you know, and he's got the Hamburglar outfit on and the mask and everything like that. 
And he's sort of going, oh, I'm stealing hamburgers. It looks like a porn star. I know, right? It's like it's like a hamburger porn film. This would be it. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of looks like the Mask of Zorro mixed with the hamburger. Where would Grimace fit into the, the McDonald's porn, do you think? Oh, I feel like Grimace would be the director. He's directing stuff. Don't you? <laughs> I don't want to speculate about the on-camera role, on role that Grimace would have. Hello? We have a person-to-person call for Marge Simpson. Person-to-person? Hello, this is Chad Sexington, the model for Burly Paper Towels. <gasps> How did you get my number? I don't know. But I was quite moved by your letter. I'd love to meet you and your family. Shall we say dinner? Oh, my goodness. Perfect. I'll be there at seven. (laughs) Oh, my God. Dinner with Burley? (laughs) 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 Playing a prankaroo, eh? I was having a private conversation with my wife in the guise of Chad Sexington. Do you mind? So Marge, I guess, isn't aware that Burley's real name isn't Chad Sexington? I don't know. It doesn't fuck. Don't think too hard about it, Dando. <laughs> Let's not to think too hard about this whole thing. Yes. Let's instead enjoy the fact that, as per Bart versus Australia, it's Bart once again doing his switchboard operator voice where, Oh, please. <laughs> I didn't even realise that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. I'm always happy to hear switchboard operator voice. Calling from Flanders' house. So Marge is then cleaning up, getting all prepared because she's very excited about it. And as you said, it's a very cruel thing. Like there's, I think Homer says something like, you better get your hopes up and things like that just to really make sure that he's going to bring her down to earth. It's like he takes it just maybe two steps too far. Mm. Bringing Barney in to do what he did. I mean, t- to his credit, Barney's kind of like, yeah, this is a bit of a dick move, pal. Oh, yeah. I'm a pawn in some terrible prank. You know. <laughs> Did he he come across like Drunk Barney to you here? I mean, that's just Barney's voice. I wasn't quite sure, but I just watched it and went, wait, I thought he wasn't sober yet. I thought he wasn't going back to being drunk yet, sorry. He looked disheveled. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he didn't look like slick. Yeah, because sober Barney Barney is slick back. Yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. And as we know about Marge, very gifted with a paintbrush, a good portrait of Burley Dude. Yes, I like when they always flash back to her talented, artistic ways, yeah. Yeah, so she's very humiliated, and Lisa says, you know, she should probably take it to a dinner and show. And I've got here, six minutes have transpired, and we still haven't got to the story yet. <laughs> at least, I guess, the paper towel story plays into it at the end. At least they somehow bring it back. It's not comp- a complete waste, because they drain the quarry with the, with the paper towels. So it's not like this whole paper towel segment just existed for nothing, you know? That is correct. <laughs> I think I actually wrote it down. Have I ever put on my pretentious hat and told you about the playwright Chekhov and the gun in the first act? I've probably mentioned that in the past. Maybe. I think you might have, yeah. It's a staple of storytelling, particularly dramatic storytelling. If you introduce a gun in the first act, it's got to go off in the third act. You have told me this, yes, yeah. And Yeah, because I'm a wanker. Um, (laughs) Sorry. But I think I actually wrote down here, we saw Burley in the first act. It's Chekhov's Burley. (laughs) (laughs) And now this is my my transformation and Mitch Grinter is complete. <laughs> oh, shots fired. Ow! <laughs> no, 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 no. 
Sorry, Mitch. But they go to Pimento Grove, which is sort of like the this era of the Simpsons fancy restaurant. And Harry Shearer's wife here was playing live. Uh, what's her name? Let me just go look on the wiki page. I forget. I apologize, Harry, for forgetting her name. Judith Owen. Yeah. Very nice voice, I must say. But she's, uh, she's playing in Pimento Grove. Then we get an introduction to Mesmerino, who, as you said, fixes Frink. Now, I'm pretty sure this is not the first time I've seen Frink have a makeover to some extent like this. Okay. Something very similar has happened before in the past where, you know, he sort of looks really slick and really, like, cool. Yeah, unfortunately, he goes back to being normal Frink after this. Yes, if you've got a, a, a Jerry Lewis character, I think at least at one stage or mate, but probably more than once, you're going to go nutty professor and turn him into buddy love where he sort of gets, yeah. hey, doll, how you doing? And I mean, and, and in all honesty, telling someone to meet you in the change room at, in five, four, three, two, now is actually a pretty slick line. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Could a girl say no to that? Probably, yes. But, but I can't say no to that. <laughs> so then we get Smithers. So he heckles Burns and Smithers here. And we get the, the seed plant of my father died a long time ago when I was younger. Which, you know, at that moment, it's just like, oh, well, that's a fucking, that's a yeah, mood killer. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, obviously plays into it later on as well. Then we get Homer here. I really like this. So look at me, I'm a famous historian. And then the Emily Dickinson. Look at me, I'm Angie Dickinson. <laughs> and then we get him imagining when he was 12 once again. Wouldn't you like to be able to go back to when you were 12 just once? Yeah, I'd probably slap myself around a little and say, learn these lessons, do these, remember these things. Don't let <laughs> sister catch the porn comics. This was earlier than that even. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think it would be good to go back to a, a younger age and maybe give yourself some sage advice. What do you think you'd tell yourself at uh, 12? What would I tell myself? Or would you 12? be like, stay the course, big dando. You're doing super. <laughs> What advice would I give myself right now? Uh, it'd be in regards to like saving money because I look back now and think how much money I wasted every Friday, Saturday, Sunday oh, going to the shitty nightclubs of Geelong thinking, why? Yeah. Why did I do this for so many years? I could have like a nice car or I could have yeah. 10% of my mortgage paid off by now, <laughs> you know? But yeah, I don't know. I used to, I used to go out every weekend and because I worked at Ford and I was living at home, I just pissed money away. Like, I don't know, 200 to 250 bucks a night, I'd go out and just piss away. Wow. Yeah, just ridiculous. What about yourself? Yeah. Um, I think money would be one of them, certainly. Take better care of my teeth. <laughs> That's a good one as well. I've got, sh- I haven't got shocking teeth, but I just look at them now. And- See, Nicola's got pristine teeth. So I feel I get sort of all awkward when I brush my teeth in front of Nicola. I'm like, oh, you make me feel bad because she. Oh yes. When I met her, she because Nicola's I call her a ferocious brusher. When she brushes, she gets in there, she brushes hard for a good two to three minutes, like solid brushing. Wow. And to the point where, funny story, when I first met Nicola, she wouldn't let me see her brush her teeth because she's so ferocious when she brushes her teeth. It was like the next step in the relationship when I was allowed to see her brush her teeth. (laughs) (laughs) It's very intimate. I mean, the lovely Louise has got splendid teeth as Mm. well, marvellous teeth. So, yes, I'm uh, I'm a bit envious and a bit sort of self-conscious about mine. It's the reason I put off vodcasting for so long. This is all quite wonderful and handsome, of course, but, I mean, then I've got the Austin Powers number here, so... Just keep, just keep moving your head around. It'll just freeze. It'll be fine. <laughs> I want to talk like this from now on. That's that. Uh, yeah, please don't. <laughs> this could work. But... 
Patreon numbers are just falling, falling, falling. Where, where were we up to? I can't remember. Where did we get to? Uh, uh, Mesmerino, being 12. That's right. Mesmerino had taken Homer back to being the age of 12. Yeah, so Homer basically screams the entire way home, which I used to have. I remember I had a friend at primary school who absolutely loved that bit. And I watched this just going, eh. It's not that funny. The only funny bit about it, really... The valet? Is the valet. Yeah. Is, is giving the valet the tip while he's screaming. There's a very similar gag coming up in a future episode where Homer catches a poo cheating on Manjula, and he just oh. walks backwards. You know, he walks back through the hedge? It's like that the entire way home. It's actually, it's actually quite funny, that part. But anyway, so we come back from commercial barges just doing some ironing. Homer gets dropped off by Lenny and Carl because he's screaming all day at work and he's interfered with nap time and quiet time. Sounds good, doesn't it? Wish my work had that. It would be great, wouldn't it? By the way, I don't mean this to sound patronising or condescending mm. or sexist or anything like that. I feel like we're in trouble here. <laughs> I don't think we are. I think this is a genuine compliment. Um, I'm always really impressed when Marge is awfully good at housework. Mm. When she does that shit with the uh, with the T-shirts and shorts, I'm like, that's pretty rad. Wish I could pull that shit off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the things I go, man, I wish I could do that, like you said, yeah. I mean, I can't iron. I'm just the worst ironer. I try. I'm just terrible. I'm not bad at it, actually. I don't do it all that often, but there'll be there'll be occasions when I sort of go, okay, well, I've got the board out because I need to iron the shirt because I'm going to some occasion or something. I might as well do a whole bunch, and then I'll do like six shirts. I'm like, yeah. this isn't that hard. I should do it no. more often. You know, well, I should have neat shirts. Ironing to me is like parenthood. It's the same approach. You just wing it, man. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of a generation of wrinkled kids. <laughs> <laughs> Symbolically wrinkled and rumpled kids. <laughs> but she's yeah, she's feeling sorry for Homer. They've sort of realized there must be some sort of repressed memory. And we have the yucky tea. And yes, this is where he's going to start trying to reminisce about what it is that's causing him to scream all the time. We get the, the gorge moment, which gets mentioned in every clip show. And I've read that they try to keep that clip very short so that viewers mm. wouldn't tune out straight away thinking it was going to be a clip show. Because I've watched this going, oh, shit, it's a clip show. But no, straight away it cuts off. And as Lisa said, everyone's sick yeah. of that moment. Then we get the memory of Lenny, Carl, and Homer walking along. It's a very Stand By Me moment, isn't it? I think, yeah, they said it was inspired equal parts by Stand By Me and also by a movie called Breaking Away, which is really good. I remember really digging it as a kid. It was probably... a I think I saw it at the cinema when I was probably about 11 or so. Just another coming-of-age film? or Yeah, yeah. It's set in this college town in America, but uh, it sort of revolves around the kids, who act, uh, these four friends who actually live in the town, and they're sort of more blue-collar, a bit more working class, and one of them has aspirations to be like a professional cyclist, like a, okay. uh, like a racing cyclist and all that, and the four friends end up uh, sort of entering as a team in this bike race against the college guys. But it's yeah, real. It's a really good coming of age story. I I really really dig it. And um, yeah, the whole quarry bit of jumping from this high sort of um, distance or high height or whatever into the into the quarry is is certainly lifted from there. I don't know if Breaking Ways on any streaming services, but if you get access to it, then by all means check it out. It's really really good. Got a young Dennis Quaid in it, uh, young Jackie Earl Haley from Watchmen and a few other things. Young Daniel Stern from Home and Away uh, from oh. Home and Away, Home and Away. <laughs> from Home Alone. <laughs> and the Wonder Years. And the Wonder Years. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Bum, 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 bum. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Bum, 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 bum. Give him a lonely heart like pie. Check it out, Fat Tony. Those jokers think they're the cow sills. And lots of wavy hair like Liberace. 
You guys have blundered into our secret tobacco patch. Wow! Is that wacky tobacco? The wackiest. Let's punch and kick them! <gasps> Not so fast! <laughs> Uh-oh, he's got a daisy. We better scram. 18 more pumps, that could break the skin. Yeah. He thinks, Moo. And that's how a troubled young Mo saved the day. I watched this and went, well, this doesn't make any sense because they these guys didn't apparently know each other when they were kids and all that kind of thing. But for the sake of the story, I just dug young fat Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Is it wacky to baggy? The wackiest. Yeah. <laughs> So good. If we can, if we can get an interview with Joe Montaigne somewhere down the line, we really must do it. Do you, I could see, I could probably make it happen. Do you want to do it? If only so, if only so, I can just embarrass myself and prob- probably insult him by doing a Fat Tony impersonation to his face. Embarrass yourself and me at the same time, <laughs> and just ruin all the goodwill you've built up over time. <laughs> like who's this asshole? Hey, Joe, if you're listening, come to the show sometime. You'll enjoy it. Come on, Joe. Come on, come on the show, Joe. What's your favourite impersonation, Christopher Walken or Joe Montagna? Oh, probably Christopher Walken because I can do it a little more effectively than I can Joe. Now, oh, now that we got you on video, do you Christopher Walken so people can watch you do it quickly? I don't think people need to see me because I'm not. It's uh, <laughs> now I don't know what to say if I'm doing a Christopher Walken impersonation. It's a tough one. I've done better. <laughs> oh man! Alrighty, I'm, I'm every week going to make you do an impersonation of somebody. <laughs> right, right here, listeners. Mailbagerfourfigurediscount.com.au. We want an impression gonna, of someone who knows what he's doing. Guy's going to do an impersonation of somebody you recommend. It could be anybody. <laughs> I can't wait. So Mo has saved the day, like I said. Tomorrow arrives. That's what. Yeah, tomorrow arrives. He says, mm, "That's good, yucky." As as we discussed earlier. Then he, hey, did you hear Mo hanging shit on the stars here? Lazy lights ain't do nothing for nobody. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get. I thought this is going to be one of your favorite moments. I thought you were referencing this before when you mentioned the most is like experience. I really dug the internet gag because I was about to. I was about to rag on it and go, "Internet wasn't around at this point." And then went, "Ah, well played, yeah. Simpsons." It felt like a very early kind of. Internet, that's like a pet rock. That's never going to take off. That's a fad. So you can sort of make jokes about like, oh, I just logged off on my internet or something. Yeah. It's like, well, which I, which I, a joke I never understood as a kid, but I definitely understand it now. <laughs> <I> <laughs> get it now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they think the reason Homer has got these repressed memories and he's screaming all the time is because he fell or jumped off the quarry and landed in the mud and hurt himself. But no, yes. that's not it, is it? Because Mo leaves, Homer continues to remember and realizes that once all the guys left to go feel the bras at Sears. That was one of my trivia questions, by the okay. way. Okay. Where do, where do the boys go to go feel bras at Sears? Yes. And he discovers the dead body. And I wrote here, yeah, pretty traumatizing. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I've written down here <laughs> in Homer voice, yeah, that'll traumatize you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he didn't just see a dead body. It was on him, and he was embracing it. Oh God, yeah, and it was, ve- and it was sort of like a Gabo dead body as well. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't Gabo. That was Krusty's uh, impersonation, Krusty's version of Gabo. That's right. Yeah. Sorry <laughs> from the Gabo episode, but yeah, the best part is when he smacks his head, caves in, and then kicks it at the kids. <laughs> that that dummy is fantastic. But um, yeah, so Homer- that's one of my. That is one of my all-time favorite bits from The Simpsons. <laughs> when he kicks it, and it goes to the kids in the crowd. Just oh, it's like this. It's the cherry on top. It's so funny. 
<laughs> but uh, and even like Krusty's little mustache <laughs> as he's doing it. <laughs> but Homer's discovered what's, the what's dead the, body, as we said. He has like a a riddle. What is why is a raven like a writing desk or something along those lines? I can't remember. But it's something terrible. Yeah, it's really yeah. really bad. That, that episode is just so good. Krusty gets cancelled. Just oh god, yeah. Gabo, Gabo, Gabo. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else needed. <laughs> He'll tell us what to do. <laughs> so we come back and Homer's all upset because he realizes he you knows it was a dead body. It's the reason for his occasional overeating, his fear of corpses. <laughs> Mo wonders, you know, well, maybe the body's still there. And oh, well, why was the body there? Sorry. And mm. we get the murder afoot and murder most foul. And they say, the body's still there. Let's go get it. It's a, something that only the Simpsons family can solve. And poor Mo, oh. Lenny, and Carl just feel very left out. I just thought it was funny. Mo's <laughs> just sad about it because I know, they sort of go, they're taking the piss here out of the cliche murder mystery. Only the Simpsons family can solve this. Sort of like mm. the, only the, what are they, what's the Scooby Doo gang called? The Scooby Gang? The, the Scooby, I know it's the Mystery Machine. Well, the, well, the, ba- the, the van is called the Mystery Machine. Yeah, I thought, are they called the Scooby Gang? I thought they called something else. Well, but then the gang in Buffy oh, is called, calls themselves the Scooby Gang. So no, they're, they're Mystery Inc. That's what they are. I'm pretty sure. Are they? Wow. Okay. I'm gonna Google this just to make sure because I was a big fan of Scooby Doo as a kid, and I feel like I should know this. Mystery. I was thinking more like the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and shit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated, Mystery Inc. Yeah, Mystery Inc. is their name. Really? So anyway, uh, getting back to the episode, Mo leaves sad. And they're now on their way. I thought you would have appreciated this. <laughs> yep, the old quarry is just a stone's throw away. Stop saying that, Dad. Never. So they arrive at the quarry and they see Wiggum. And it just it feels very, I don't know, out of canon Forced. by this point. Yeah. <laughs> Just, oh, it's, it's the Simpsons family. Oh, you know. And then, you know, he's a crime buff, so he wants to go help them as well. Pulls the trolley out. To get, what do you want to get? Want to get a, <laughs> I might solve it and they'll give me a voucher for guitar lessons. Something yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. They pull the trolley out. It's damaged. Put it back. I don't want to see it this way. <laughs> <laughs> and then Burley is used to clear all the water, isn't it? So we get the little callback to the first act. So it's not as meaningless as I thought it was going to be. And they find the body where someone has eaten all the flesh and Homer thinks it's one of the family. They then go for a stroll through the pipe. What do you think of the, now do you believe dead rats float, Lisa? (laughs) Do dead rats actually float, I wonder? I imagine they would. Yeah, I suppose once they bloat and everything. Yeah, gross. Yeah, I remember seeing some movie back in the early 90s called Mobsters. Have you ever heard of this one? No, I definitely remember it, seeing the cover for it, though. Yeah, it's got like Christian Slater. It's it's like a collection of It Boys from the early 90s. It's Christian mm. Slater, pre-McDreamy Patrick Dempsey, and I think yeah. Richard Grieco. Okay, yeah. And it's like the young versions of the great American gangsters of the era, like Bugsy Siegel and that. And this is about the only thing I remember from it is that um, Bugsy Siegel is talking about how he's got to get rid of somebody who goes, yeah, what you got to do is you got to poke a lot of holes in the liver, so that way it do- that way it sinks. And I'm like, that's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember much else about the movie, but I do remember that. I remember thinking, I'm really keen to see this mobsters movie. I mean, I really dug Christian Slater back in the day. I thought this guy's really cool. What's the Tarantino film he's in that he's really good in? 
True Romance, yeah, which That's Tarantino it, yeah. wrote but didn't direct, yeah. Yeah, and then I watched it, then this is a piece of shit. <laughs> this is no good. <laughs> Choose better projects, Slade. I'm just I'm just imagining all these bodies at the bottom of the uh, of the bar and now have all these holes in the liver. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't have fucked with Guy. <laughs> Anyway, but we we now return you to the Simpsons and and not my crimes. They open up the the hatch. What are you doing in my cop's hatch? <laughs> what do you call it? Isn't tube? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, I I remember watching this for the first time and not expecting this. It's not where I expected them to come in, Mister Burns's office of all places. Mm. But to prove his innocence, shows them the film, which doesn't work. Logistically, because there's different camera angles, but angles, yeah. it shows the unfortunate passing of Smithers Senior. But it's just a very nice moment that I feel like if this was like a season six or seven episode, it would have been handled with a little more care and would have meant a bit yes. more. Yeah. At that stage of the game, they were still sort of creating canon, so to speak. That's true, yeah. In this instance, it feels more like, how can we not cover our ass, but... Uh, all right, let's come up with something to sort of explain this. I feel like the, if this was like a se- like I said, season six or seven episode, the episode would have been the story would have been Smithers wanting to find out the truth about his father. Yeah, and then yeah. and then and finding at this at the end, it would have been like, oh man, the guy died a hero. It would have meant something, you know. Yeah, and in this case, it's re- it's it feels like patchwork. It feels like it's sort of covering up, uh, you know, third act issues, and also a bit of an excuse for a cheap gag about uh, about Smithers. But why is why is homosexual? It's like yeah, yeah, okay, sure. But I think what this moment needed would have made it better. I feel is like Smithers not only finding this out, but realizing that Burns took Smithers, baby Smithers, under his wing and raised him as a father as a result, and had like a a proper embrace, even like a tear or whatever. I just think that would have been a really beautiful moment if it wasn't played for gags. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Could have been a really because at at the moment it just you sort of still as a viewer go, why does Smithers put up with this? And that would have been a really good explanation as to why mm. because Burns raised him, you know. Yeah, poorly but raised him. Yeah, exactly. Yes, we find out that he sacrificed his life for the sake of not just saving Smith, baby Smithers, save Springfield. He should be a town hero. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, you should be. I a did like the line see. though. Cover-ups were all the rage back then. Yes. <laughs> And then we get Homer with a skull in the safekeeping box or whatever. And then Mo walks in with a clue and they just humor him and let him. And this is where Hank does his improv about the, the mouse helmet and things like that. Yeah. I didn't love the episode, but I did enjoy it. Let's not forget, stick around to the very end for the Gracie because you'll get more Homer screaming. More Homer screaming. Okay. Um. Yes, I. it's not a bad episode by any means. The first act is a little bit like, yeah, whatever, take it or leave it. At least it plays into the, the final act. As I said, I'm a good sucker for a murder mystery. And this one, it entertained me. It kept it kept me didn't keep me guessing because I remember I remembered what happened. But I remember the first time watching it, not knowing where it was going to go next, which I guess is the sign of a good story. I don't know. Look, I liked a lot of bits and pieces from it, but yeah, to mine it did feel very sort of disjointed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. Uh, and I I think I came away with the thinking because like you just said about that whole final bit with uh, with Burns and Smithers, it felt like it had potential to sort of be better, be something, or to do yeah, things differently. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Almost like a do it for her moment. Almost. Absolutely. What do we learn, Palmer? So what did you learn for the episode, Mr. Davis? 
that if you are going to be hypnotized and turned into the best possible version of yourself, don't allow yourself to get redorculated. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I learned to keep my liver as far away from you as possible. <laughs> <laughs> from this day forward, your names will be... All right, it's time for the Guy Davis New Name Championship. I shall run through the current leaderboard so the listeners can be aware of who is winning. So in third position, we have a three-way tie, all on three points. We have Andrew Pellicati, Keith Nedham, and Philip Hawkins. In second position, Mark Boston Burgess on four points. And in first position, Gerard Harahill on six points. So what have we got this week for the Blunder Years? Right. Oh, now, a few honourable mentions to begin with before mm-hmm. we get to uh, gold, silver, and bronze. Nick James gave us Stand By Mo. Mm-hmm. I like it. Not bad. By the way, yeah, that's Nick gave... James' bitch for you. Oh, is it? Are we <laughs> Nick calling James him that? Bitch. <laughs> He's Nick James' bitch. <laughs> uh, stand By Mo. No, I don't mind it because they should have stood by Mo. And they did stand by Mo at the end. They humoured him and let him get his clues out. Yeah. Not bad. Let him, yeah. That envelope and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Neil Parks gave us a pretty good one, Quarry on Screaming, mm-hmm. which is a yeah. bit of a play on the old Carry On movie, Carry On Screaming, but also yeah. there's a quarry in this and there's screaming, so it's, it's pretty good. It's not too bad. Old Yeller from Pat Wright yeah. is one that I liked quite a bit. And Talia Enriquez gave us two good ones, The Old Man and the Scream. Mm-hmm. And Passion of the Cries. Some not bad notable mentions there, but what have we got for three, two, one? Okay, these are all quite good, so I'm sort of working out which one's going to get one, two, Ooh. and three. Live on the show, we're finding Live out. Live on the show, the we're doing it. <laughs> I'm, I'm winging it, winging it. One point goes to mm-hmm. Fergus Jeffs. Okay, Fergus Jeffs, first point on the leaderboard. Yes. What, is, what have for they got for us? Momento. Yeah, very good. You always love the dough puns. Yes, indeed. I'm very partial to that. Two points to Josh Hedge mm-hmm. for PTS dope. <laughs> Not bad. Again, with the dope hunt. <laughs> okay. Now, something we should point out. I did a bit of sort of, we looked at the timing of when these things came up online and all that kind of stuff. And our friend Nora, and Nora, again, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your surname. Kosha? Kosha. 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 Kosha or Kosha? Actually, Nora, please write in and let us know because I'm, I'm, I'm only embarrassing myself here. But she came up with variations or similar ones to these, and maybe just a little bit after the same, uh, you know, the first people came up with. Okay, so, yeah, fair enough, uh, yeah. Props first in Nora. best dressed. First in best dressed. But first in best dressed indeed, Nora. But three points go to Philip the Hawk Hawkins. Wow, wheeze. Now equal first with Garode. What has Phil got for us? I really like this. The repression that I get. Oh, that's very well played, I like sir. That. I'm not a fan of the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. I like that um, song, though. I, I don't like that song, but you I do like, like that. that. I don't like that song. I, I like it less now than what I did when I was a kid. When I was a kid, it was my jam. I loved it. I heard it on the radio on the way home from work. It would have been, I don't know, about a month ago. And I went, hmm. it started playing. I went, oh, fuck, I love this song. I got about halfway through and went, yeah, what else is on? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, like, I liked it, but I think I still liked it because I just have that Memory of enjoying it a lot when I was a kid. Certainly, you know? yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone's got songs like that. But uh, it's a shame that yours is the impression that I get by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Which <laughs> That's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three points to Philip Hawkins for the repression that I get. At least something good came out of it. 
So we have here Andrew Pellicati, Keith Nedham, both on three points in third position. In outright second position, Mark Boston Burgess on four. And in first position, it's a two-way tie. Phil Hawkins on six. Oh, sorry, yeah, Phil Hawkins on six and Garode Harrowhill on six. I've noticed that our dear friend, old DL, is just taking a step back and allowing someone else the chance to win this season. DL, what a mensch. Good on you. Yeah. <laughs> Jamil! Jamil is here! Ooh! The mail. The mailbag's here. All right. So first question here comes from Andrew Pellicati. And Andrew says, did you guys watch The Wonder Years? He remembers watching it a bit as a kid, but he's never revisited it. I just remember it being on TV One on Foxtel a few times and me just going, oh, yeah, it's that show everyone used to talk about. I know The Simpsons parried it a few times. I can't say I really know much about it besides the fact that Daniel Stern voices on it and it's got Fred Savage. Is, was it a good show? It went for a while, right? It was. I remember enjoying it a whole lot, and mm. I felt like they had it on nightly. Really? Okay. But clearly they didn't because, I mean, there weren't that many episodes, and I saw it during, like, its first run. But I remember, yeah, watching it quite frequently and enjoying it a whole lot. I mean, I thought it was really well made, very, very well acted. Yeah, like Fred Savage a lot. I mean, I, I think I'd seen him in, like, a few things prior to that. Like, he was in this movie called The Boy Who Could Fly, and he was sort of like the cute younger brother in that. And, of course, he was in The Princess Bride and, and all that. I love this movie as a kid. I know it's a terrible movie, but it had Fred Savage in it and Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel, Little Monsters. L- little Monsters. Fuck, I love that movie when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've... I think I saw it once maybe when I was a teenager. I was like... I can probably go the rest of my life without seeing this again. Um, but no, I, I was really quite taken to the to the point where Kevin, Fred Savage's character, had the long, long-running crush on Winnie Cooper or whatever. And I remember the night that he finally actually sort of mustered up the courage to tell her how he felt and kissed her. And I was like, whoa, good on you, on you, Kevin. Well done, buddy. I mean, I was actually legitimately happy for him. I think the main thing I remember, though, is that it was... And, I'm, I was old enough or young enough at the time for this to not be creepy. Um, but I remember watching some episode and thinking, who's this young actress? She's very fetching. And and that young actress, my friends, turned out to be Alicia Silverstone. Oh, wow. Was she on the Wonder Years? Yeah, she had like a guest role. She had like a guest appearance yeah, on it as like some girl who may have like been sort of leading Kevin on or something like that, or he had a crush on or something like that. Yeah, I remember thinking, hmm. Who's that girl? She's quite cute. <laughs> and, um, I remember going, who's that girl? She's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I love Alicia Silverstone. When I grow up, I'm going to marry her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need to get that at least once every week, by the way, that quote. <laughs> That's coming in all the time. Uh, yeah. yeah, so no, I like the Wonder Years quite a lot. It's one that I have not revisited. Is it on on any of the streamers? Is it on I'm Disney sh- Plus? I, it, I'm assuming it'd be on something. Yeah, yeah, it'll be something. Surely. It's pretty iconic. I mean, but the thing of it is, it's one of those things where it probably won't get like a physical media release because it's just got a whole bunch of like really great music on it. The music clearances would just be an absolute nightmare. So, um, but if you can find it on a streamer, then yeah, by all means, check it out. It's good stuff. They're doing a reboot right really? now. Yeah. Um, With Daniel Stern? I don't Stone? know if they set... No, no, it's actually this this time centered around an African American family. I don't know if it's in the same era. Yeah, no, Wonder Years is good stuff. I, I enjoyed yeah. it very much as a young as a young person. This next question here comes from Joel Yeland. He says, "What's your favorite Stephen King adaptation?" Well, there's a few. I mean, uh, let's start with you, Dan. I mean, what are there any that sort of leap out at you that you enjoy? The ones that I know the most would be either Misery or It. 
They're the ones mm-hmm. that stand out the most. I I've never seen Pet Cemetery. It's one I've always been wanting to watch. Um, but um, would you recommend Pet Cemetery? Any good? Well, there's two of them now. Yeah, but would you? But the original one or the, or the I new didn't one? like Which the better? original one much at all because like I okay. really like the book. I think the book is one of Stephen King's best. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people dig the movie from '89. I think that's when it may, was made. And there are certainly there are certainly parts of it that work really well. The little kid who plays Gage, who's the spoilers, the kid who comes back from the dead. He's a really good child actor and really creepy as well. So that's good. That's good stuff. And um, Fred Gwynn, aka Herman Munster, who plays like the next door neighbor, uh, he gives a terrific performance as well. But there's a lot in it that just doesn't work or is just a bit substandard or doesn't live up to the potential of material for mine. I haven't seen the new version yet, so I'll get, I'll get around to that when I can. Maybe tonight. Who knows? John Lithgow, right? John Lithgow's in it. Um, the Australian actor Jason Clark. Who else? Oh. John Lithgow and Jason Clark. There are a few, there are other people in it, I'm sure. When you said it, do you mean the the one with Tim Curry as Pennywise or the movie? Tim, Tim, Tim Curry, yeah, the TV adaption, yeah, yeah. That's that that's a, that to me feels more true to the book. Yeah, well, I mean, um, you mentioned Misery as well. I mean, Rob Reiner, who directed that, also directed Stand by Me, which is based on the body. Ah, okay, yeah. I really like Stand by Me. I think it's a, I think it's a really well done movie, and I love the I love the short story, the novella that it's based on, which yeah, the body out of the Different Seasons collection. I remember just reading that as a teenager, and there are bits in it. Is it Lardas Hogan? The fat... the fat. Have you seen Stand By Me, haven't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I yeah. can't remember his name, the, though. The fat kid who wins the pie-eating competition yeah, and yeah, yeah. throws up and makes everybody throw up. Stephen King wrote that so well. I remember just laughing till I thought I'd have a fucking aneurysm. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. Uh, so that, And it's a really good adaptation, so I like that a lot. Probably my favourite is um, The Dead Zone. Okay, the, yeah. Yeah, it's the book is one of my favorites, one of my favorite kings. And the adaptation is from 1983 or 1984, I think. And lucky you listeners and 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 watchers because you're getting two Christopher Walken impersonations this time around. Because Christopher Walken is the lead in this version directed by David Cronenberg. I think it was probably the first time I got really turned on to Walken. I'm like, who's this guy? He's mm-hmm. really interesting. You know, and he's there's some just Great classic Walken moments in it. You know, he's. I won't do any here because you've had all the Walken you can handle this time around. But uh, <laughs> he's he's awfully good at it. I mean, and not just sort of spooky Walken, but the guy's just a generally all round good actor. There's stuff in yeah. it that's really sort of uh, moving and tender, and he plays it all really, really well. So yeah, the Dead Zone is one I recommend. That's on Amazon Prime if you have Prime Video. I was a big fan also of Carrie when I was younger. Yeah, Carrie, as well as um, we can't forget Shawshank Redemption and The Shining. They're also two. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Shawshank's fantastic. It's crazy how many iconic films are like like is as a result of his books. You know what I mean? Like he's just he. Would you say he's like the king of horror? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly the modern king of horror. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock was the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was more. He was a director, where Stephen King's the writer. Yeah, yeah. It, and if you're going yeah. back in time, I mean, you've got the likes of Edgar Allan Poe and all that kind of shit. Yeah, I mean, true, yeah. But as far as 20th century guys go, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, King's got absolutely got to be up there. Yeah. You know, and the man's an absolute powerhouse or an absolute workhorse. He's still sort of churning out novels and short stories and tweets. He tweets a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, no. Yeah, I'm very, very partial to King. So, uh, he- yeah, and you mentioned Shawshank. All the stuff that Frank Darabont did, whether it's there's Shawshank, there's the Green Mile... And he also did an adaptation of The Mist, which is just oh. sick. Well, the end of that, man. Holy shit. 
indeed. And, okay, fine. Here's a Christopher Walken impersonation because I'll tell you what I'm going to do when, when I reviewed The Mist for the Geelong Advertiser back in the day. Uh, it actually got quoted on the back of the Blu-ray cover. So I'll take a picture of that and put what? that up online as well. Yeah. The actual Mist? Oh, really- yes. Yeah. Your quote what, it says Geelong Advertiser. It does. It says Guy Davis, Geelong Advertiser. That's fucking rad, On the rad, DVD, man. it said Guy David. Oh, no. I know. But on the Blu-ray, it says Guy Davis. <laughs> That's right. I'm pretty sure I have that here. If I don't, I'm going to get it. That's You have to post that in the Patreon group because that is rad. <laughs> I'll do it. Told you I'll do it. All righty. Final question here comes from Georgia Catherine. She says, what's the best childhood adventure memory with your mates? I want to hear it, Mr. Davis. What's your favourite childhood adventure oh, story? Oh, so many. Uh, but no, you go first because I'm trying. I'm, I'm going to sort you, through you the memories. Mis- were you a mischievous kid when you were younger? Mischievous? Mm, no. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was not class clownish, but I was someone who would like, you know, this teacher's not saying anything that interesting. I think I'd rather talk to my mate here and try to make him laugh. So I wasn't, I was a little disruptive, but not in a sort of a, a mean-spirited way like, eh, teacher. It was more like, what you're telling me is not that interesting. I'm going to talk to this guy. <laughs> I remember there was a day where we just set out, and for some reason, because we were like 10, we decided we were going to put my mate's dog, dog shit into a Hungry Jack's bag and throw it at people's front doors. You've got a forget. nerve asking me if I was mischievous. Good <laughs> Lord. I did never, never did anything with dog shit. And, uh, I'll never forget that we, it's the Billy Madison effect, but I remember we threw the Hungry Jack's bag at this door and it was like, boom, and dropped it. And the guy picked it up, he threw it out on the footpath again. He opened it up, looked inside, threw it out the footpath. So I went up and I went to launch it again. And as I was throwing it, he opens the front door and says, caught ya. And this bag just goes, poof, and shit oh, no. goes everywhere. <laughs> oh my God. And I... I've never been so scared in my life. He chased me for a better block, but he was old, so he couldn't catch me. But my goodness, <laughs> the, 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 it's like slow motion. It's just I launched it, went, oh no, oh no, and just and just seeing the, the, the vision of this shit just <laughs> just explode on this guy's face. <laughs> I cannot match that story uh, in any way, shape, or form. So I think we better leave it there. Did you ever go like hiking or camping or anything? Um. Well, I had my sort of uh, my year at this uh, this school called Timbertop, which mm-hmm. was the I don't know, <laughs> the rural rural version of the school I went to. You went up there for a year and you did a lot of hiking and all that kind of business. In retrospect, it was fun. While we were doing it, it kind of sucked. <laughs> but yeah, no, there were good times in, in in that regard certainly. But I think by the time <laughs> that was done, I was like, I'm not hiking for fun anymore. Forget it. <laughs> I was actually discussing with Nicola yesterday of all things. When you were a kid, did you have sort of like a, a radius that your parents allowed you to play within in your neighborhood? And you knew you weren't allowed to go past like that street. Because I had this area. I was just discussing how that there was one day where I was with another friend and he wanted to go to another friend's house who was like four houses past this parameter. I remember just crossing over like past this street and going, it felt like I was going to the elephant graveyard. I was like, I'm going to die. Like, like, <laughs> like, did, you, did you have like a, a perimeter? Not, not to that degree, no. I think I, I lived in an era sort of more of free-range children where you could just, you know, like they old, that old saying is like, you know, come back when the streetlights are on. I, mean, I grew up in Norlane, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the The boundary is now starting to make a little more sense. 
<laughs> uh, but thank you guys for the question. Hope you enjoyed our review of the Blunder Years. Next week, we're going to be reviewing an episode called She of Little Faith, which is actually a Christmas episode starring Richard Gere. Gear. Oh, gear. Yeah. Not not Gearoid Harrahill. I don't think I've yeah, I don't think I've watched this one since it first aired, to be completely honest. So I'm looking forward to going back and revisiting because I actually cannot remember a single thing about the episode. Not a single thing. Nor can I. No, so really looking forward to going back and checking that one out once again. As I said, guys, don't forget to rate and review us in the iTunes store. Just check us five stars and leave a few words as to why you love the show. Follow us on Twitter if you're not already at Four Finger Pod. Follow us on Instagram at Four Finger Discount. And if you want access to a bunch of exclusive Four Finger Discount podcasts, including this one a week early, and all the other shows like Talking Seinfeld and Taz Futurama early, as well as Four Finger Discount Revisited Classics, where each month we pick a particular episode that the patrons choose from the golden year of The Simpsons and we go back and review it. This month is going to be Home of the Vigilante, which I can't wait to go back and revisit. Vigilante? Vigilante. Vigilante. Anti. That's right, yeah, Vigilante. One of my favourites of all time, so I can't wait to go back and check that one out as well. This will be a four-finger discount patron to get access to that at patreon.com slash four-finger discount. But for now, Mr. Davis, any final words for our incredible listeners? We hope you've enjoyed the four-finger discount experience featuring Dando. <laughs>